Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. This morning I'd invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 will be beginning in verse 27. As you're turning there, uh, I wonder uh, how many of you all have had the opportunity, the privilege to get to visit the Grand Canyon? Anybody had an opportunity to visit the Grand Canyon in person? When I was young, uh, I went on a trip to the Grand Canyon. We are actually on a mission trip and we, we stopped by... Uh, that on one of our last days to, to go and see it. And, and it's just, it's astounding. There's no way to adequately describe or, or to capture, even in the most detailed picture, what the Grand Canyon looks like. As a matter of fact, I, I thought about putting a picture of the Grand Canyon on our screens this morning for you to see it. But the Grand Canyon is one of those things that, to show you a picture of it, actually diminishes it because the picture is so inferior to actually seeing it in person that it, it gives you the wrong impression. There's no way to capture how beautiful a place it is. It is a breathtaking testimony to God's power and His creativity. Yet the canyon, for all of its beauty, is also a very dangerous place. As a matter of fact, every year somewhere around 12 people die at the canyon, and, and most of those from falling into the canyon. In some of the most popular places, in some of the most popular viewing areas, they've installed rails and fences along the edge to keep people from getting too close to the edge and too close to danger. Now, you may not know this about me, but I'm not a terribly big fan of heights. It's not the height so much as it is falling from that height that bothers me. Earlier this year, I was in here in the sanctuary on a a ladder trying to change some of these light bulbs up above my head. And if I'm just honest with you, that's about my least favorite part of being your pastor. Um, I did not like being up on that ladder. But, but back at the Grand Canyon, I knew because of my dislike of the idea of me falling into the canyon, I knew what those rails meant. I knew those rails meant danger, stay back on this side of the rail. Sometimes the rails were further back from the edge. There were some that was up close and there were some that were further back because what you couldn't see was that even though it looked like there's a nice solid rock ledge out there for you to walk on, was that underneath that the, the foundations had fallen away and that rock ledge was suspended over thousands of feet of, of just death, right? And, and so they, they put the fences further back to keep you safe from danger. Nevertheless, some people, you can see it, would climb over the fence, over the rail to get the perfect selfie, you know, get the perfect picture, share with people what they were doing to demonstrate their bravery. Now, I didn't want anything to do with that rail. I could see just fine into the canyon from back here. Thank you very much. I'm happy, safe on this side of the rail. When it comes to God's breathtakingly good gifts... He gives them to us to be enjoyed, to be marveled at, to proclaim His power and creativity. This is true of the Grand Canyon, but 
It's also true of another one of God's breathtakingly good gifts, the gift of sex. And in both cases, in order to enjoy them properly, God has given his people boundaries, fences that we ought not to cross because to cross them is to invite danger and even death. Today we will examine where Jesus places that fence here in the Sermon on the Mount when it comes to human sexuality. We see that Jesus defines the crossing. We'll see how Jesus defines the crossing of that fence when it comes to adultery and lust and how we can then stay safe and prevent adultery. And ultimately we will see the high cost of adultery. And so then, if you are able, would you please stand with me this morning in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. There Jesus, speaking to His disciples, says to us, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Says the word of the Lord, you may be seated. Let's once more turn to the Lord in prayer. God, we come this morning to your word, humbly, eager to be taught from it, eager to see what it is that you would have us do as your people. And as we have just read, Lord, you have set a very high standard for us. You've created a fence that so often we are tempted to ignore, to cross, to our own peril when it comes to adultery and lust. And so, Lord, help us this morning to understand what it is that you are actually saying to us, what your word tells us, regardless of what we've heard before, regardless of what the culture might encourage, regardless of what our friends might tell us, regardless of what we feel Lord, I pray that we would hear and commit to obey your word. And Lord, right now, I just want to pray for that individual in this congregation who is perhaps swallowed up with shame, even in the reading of these verses, because they they know that they have crossed this fence time and time and time again. And they hate, Lord, They hate that they can't seem to stop giving in. Lord, I pray that that person would find mercy and freedom today. I pray that they would find forgiveness of their sins today and they would find the antidote to lust, to sexual slavery, to pornography. They would find the hope that we have in Jesus Christ today. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And so this morning, the first thing that we need to talk about is how to commit adultery. 
Now, don't get confused. I'm not giving you a how-to manual in order to say this is what you need to do. In fact, if, if you got a little excited when I just said that, thinking, oh, okay, well, this could be helpful, then you can just go ahead and skip on to point number three in the sermon because you're in trouble if you're thinking, okay, I need to know how to actually be able to have an affair to commit adultery. That's not what you want to take away from this. We're going to spend most of our time here because I think when Jesus tells us what it actually looks like to commit adultery or or how to commit adultery, he says something that is so shocking, so counterintuitive, so countercultural, that here 2,000 years later as we read this, we still don't really get it. We still don't really understand where adultery starts, where we actually cross that fence and step from life and safety into danger and death. And there's a number of applications that we can make, so we're going to, to spend most of our time here this morning. But it seems that Jesus' audience doesn't really understand adultery. Just like, as we saw last week, they didn't really understand murder. You see, in their minds, so long as they stop short when it comes to murder, of causing someone's death, of physically taking someone's life, then it wasn't murder. right? You, you could do a lot of things before you get to the point where you've physically taken someone's life. In the same way, it seems that they think that so long as you stop short of actual intercourse... You haven't broken the commandment against adultery. Or so they thought. So long as you don't cross that last fence, that last boundary, you're safe. And so it's like they went to the Grand Canyon and they said, okay, here's the fence. Well, what, what can I do with this fence? Can I, can I lean over the fence? What, what, if I, what if I climb up and I, I sit on the fence? Is that okay? Well, what, if I, what if I just take a, a small step over the fence but I'm still holding on to it? Can I do that? I'm still, the fence is right here. What, what, if I, what if I walk out on that rock ledge over there, but I can still see the fence? I still acknowledge the fence is there. I'm still respecting the fence. But now I've gone way over here. In the same way, people treat sex and adultery today like the Jews were here when Jesus speaks to them. Jesus seemed to be telling the Jews, you haven't understood this commandment fully. You've treated it as if it's something that you can go as far up to the edge as you possibly can. You're leaning over it, you're sitting on the top, you're holding on to it, so you can say that you're paying respect to it, but you don't really care about the commandment. You just don't want to get in trouble. Jesus tells us here that the answer is simple. Once you start thinking about going across the fence, you've gone too far. It says it doesn't matter if you lean over it, if you hold on to it, if you set on it. Once you start thinking, it would be nice to cross that fence, you've gone too far. Or in this specific context here, once you begin to desire that man or that woman sexually, once you begin to imagine what it might be like with them, once you begin to imagine what they might look like unclothed, You are already guilty of adultery. You've already crossed the fence. So the how-to manual for adultery is very short. It could only be one page long. Once you begin to desire that which you are not supposed to desire, that is, someone that is not your spouse, then you're committing adultery. Now, 
Young people don't try to get around the fence by saying, well, this person that I'm with now, they might be my spouse one day. I want them to be my spouse one day. I think they might be my spouse one day. So that's good enough, right? Well, have you put a ring on it? To quote Beyonce. Right? Have you stood before God and your friends and your family and made a covenant, an oath with that person to love and to cherish them in sickness and in health until death do you part? If you have not, then you don't even have the right to think about being with that person. Now let me add another disclaimer here. Yes, Jesus draws the line for adultery much further back than I think what we would. He says you are already guilty when that thought enters your mind. But that does not mean, that does not mean that you should ever say, well, I've already thought about it. I'm already guilty in the eyes of God, so I might as well do it. Right? I might as well go all the way. I can't be guilty of double jeopardy, right? It's in the U.S. Constitution. No, the Bible is clear. That while you're already guilty, condemned before God, there are additional consequences that are associated with the physical act of adultery. The amount of harm that is done to both yourself and your soul and to the other person is multiplied in the physical act of adultery. So while there is no difference in terms of guilt before God between the thought and the act, there is a huge difference when it comes to harm and consequences. This is something that we need to understand. We're already guilty when we think about it, when we desire it, when we want it. But that doesn't give us permission to go on and put our hands on someone else. Now there's still some aspects of this though that I think can be tricky because we encounter situations every day that's challenging and someone who wants to honor the Lord and who wants to walk uprightly when it comes to the way that they think and the way that they act can be troubled by certain things. So I want to to help define these lines more clearly. It's likely that there will be occasions when you are out somewhere and you see someone that you consider attractive. Now you are wired by God to be attracted to people, to find certain things attractive. That's part of God's good gift. And each of us will find certain traits in other people more or less attractive. That's one of the wonderful ways that God made us. So that even if the majority of people find you unattractive, there's likely somebody out there that finds something in you attractive. And that's good news. The fact that Lauren married me is proof enough that that's true. Right? I'm still trying to figure it out figure out what it is exactly that she saw. So you may recognize a person as attractive, right? And that's perfectly natural. That's perfectly okay. The problem, the problem is when you go in your heart from that person is attractive to, I want to see more of that person. I covet that person. I want them to be mine. I want to experience certain things with them. You've gone from recognizing them as a wonderful creation made in the image of God to an object that you are now coveting and desiring to possess. You've crossed the line. And ultimately that's what lust is. It is 
coveting. It is making an object out of a person that is made in the image of God. You're taking one of his sons and daughters that he delights over, that he sings and dances over, and you're turning them into your own personal pet object. Can you imagine? That's what lust is. There may be also be times when you see someone that you find to be attractive, and almost without thinking about it, your mind takes that leap. You might be in the cereal aisle in Kroger, and you're comparing you know, name brand cornflakes to the Malto meal stuff, right? And, and, and out of the corner of your eye, you see someone, and all of a sudden a thought pounces on you, a thought that you didn't ask for, that you don't want, that you didn't welcome. When it comes to this, we ought not to discount spiritual attacks that we endure from Satan. Satan is an accuser. He is eager to tempt us. He is seeking whom he may devour. Alistair Begg calls these unwanted, unprovoked thoughts insidious insinuations. Bet you didn't know you was going to get a quote from Beyonce and Alistair Begg in the same sermon. Sometimes thoughts come into our minds that that we don't want, that we didn't ask for. That's called temptation. And the question is, what do we do with them? What do we do with those thoughts? Do we immediately reject those insidious insinuations? Or do we allow our minds to start walking down that road? Do we cross the fence? We need to recognize where they come from and reject them immediately. Don't let your mind become Satan's playground. Eventually, if you reject them enough, if you kick those thoughts out of your mind enough, he'll find someone else to go and torment. There's yet another page in this manual of how to commit adultery. We do need to spend some time talking about because it is the most pervasive and destructive way that adultery is committed today. And that is pornography. Pornography is more prevalent today than it ever has been at any point in human history. Now, adultery has always been a problem in the human heart. The Jews didn't need pornography to commit adultery in the way that Jesus is talking about here. But never has it been so easy to access materials depicting nudity, violent sexual acts, and every other perversion of God's good gift imaginable. Think about this. Just think about how pervasive this is. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, nobody in this room would even, it wouldn't even enter into your mind to walk through those doors carrying your Bible in one hand and a Playboy magazine in the other. And yet today, this morning, it is likely that somebody walked through those doors carrying their Bible in one hand, and in the other hand, the device that they used to look at and watch vile sexual acts into the house of God. It's pervasive. Now some of the men in here may be sweating a little bit, may be shrinking in your pews. You may feel like there's a bright spotlight being shined on you right now. Let me tell you, that is exactly what Satan wants. That is why he entraps us in this. 
He wants to overwhelm you with guilt. Because guilt-ridden men, pornified men, they are no threat to his kingdom. Pornified men are slaves to their smartphones, not students of the word. And Satan is zapping the church of its power by turning our men and our young people into addicts. Listen, I hate this stuff. I hate it with every fiber of my being because porn is a robber and a thief and a destroyer. It is from Satan himself. It is robbing the church of faithful leaders. It is robbing our homes of strong, faithful husbands and fathers. It's robbing my daughters of dignity because it's teaching the young men that might one day be their husbands to view them as objects for their pleasure. It's robbing young girls of their childhoods by forcing them into trafficking. Men, did you know that if you watched a pornographic video this week, this month, you probably watched a girl that had been abused, drugged, threatened. You participated in a sex crime. But it's not just the men. Surprisingly, new studies suggest that 29% of traffic on pornographic websites are for women, from women. 64% of Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. And that's the ones that are admitting it. And the problem is so pervasive, it's so dangerous because it's so easily accessible. Did you know that, that porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined? One in five searches on smartphones, on every smartphone, one in every five searches, if you took all the searches that everyone conducted on all the smartphones, one in five is for porn. Listen, this is a drug that is killing our children. Parents, grandparents, you need to know this information. You need to know how prevalent this is among children. 51% of male students... And 32% of female students was given access to pornography before they reached their teen years. And new research from security technology companies suggests that children under the age of 10 years old now account for 22% of online porn consumption among those under the age of 18. And students are accepting of this. They've grown up in a culture where it's so prevalent, it's so always before their eyes that they don't even see anything wrong with it. 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are encouraging, accepting, or at least neutral on pornography. It's not just watching videos, but it's participating. Almost half of teenagers, 46%, Say sending sexual or naked photos or videos is part of everyday life for teenagers nowadays. So really, if we want to know how to commit adultery, we know that this is a matter of the heart. That's where it begins. That's what Jesus is saying. 
But if the instruction manual for how to commit adultery said on page one, desire someone who is not currently your spouse, page two of that super short manual would probably read and also give that person a smartphone. Which brings us to our second point here. How do we prevent adultery? And this is where Jesus makes a radical statement. He says that whatever causes us to sin, we need to get rid of it. So if it's our right eye, if it's by looking that we are drawn into sin, you need to pluck that thing out and throw it away. If it's your right hand, if it's by touching that you are drawn into sin, cut it off and throw it away. Jesus' plan for prevention is radical. Now, some have tried to soften these statements by saying that Jesus doesn't really mean what he says. That he's just speaking figuratively. But his statements are clear. What is so precious to you that if you knew it was going to cost you that thing, you would continue to to go on and pursue your lust? What is so precious to you that you would not give it up to avoid going to hell. Whatever causes you to sin, Jesus says get rid of it. Get rid of it because your sin will condemn you. Your sin will send you to hell. And so we have to get serious about fighting sin and fighting adultery. The right hand and the right eye were considered the most precious parts of the body to the Jews. Which is why Jesus uses them in this example. He's saying here, take no prisoners. Do not stop short of sacrificing whatever you have to in order to prevent sin from growing in your lives. In short, we need to to find something here that is more precious to us than our lust. The reason Jesus talks about our right hand and our right eyes is because it should be in in the mind of a sane person, if he says that this is going to cost your right hand and your right eye, the sane person would say, okay, I won't do that. No, thank you. But we don't act like sane people. We continue to pursue this. We would say, we would say if we knew that was the cost, I'm not going to cross that fence. I'm not going to lean on the fence. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I'm not going to get anywhere near that fence because I don't want to pay that price. If a man came to me, And said, Pastor, I can't stop looking at pornography. If I had the ability to offer that man a million dollars, if he could make it for a month without looking at pornography, do you think he could make it? I bet he could. Right now, I don't have a million dollars to offer. I wish that I did. I wish I could give every man a million dollars to stop. But he would be able to stop for that month because that million dollars would be more precious to him than pornography. Now, I can't offer you a million dollars. But I can offer you something that is even more valuable. Holiness. Because holiness will produce in us eternal rewards. And I guarantee you that a thousand years from now in heaven, not one of you in this room will ever say, shoot, you know, I wish I wouldn't have cared so much about holiness. I wish I'd have looked at more of these videos, more of these pictures. I'd have had a lot more fun doing that. 
Right now, if that's you in a thousand years, come look me up in heaven. I'll give you a money back guarantee, right? But we know that none of us will think that way. We know that a thousand years from now, what will matter is the holiness that we pursued. So we need to get rid of the things in our lives that prevent us from pursuing holiness. For some of us, that may mean we don't need to have smartphones. It may mean that we don't need to have a computer in the house or even a television. I think, well, that would make me weird. What do you think walking around without a right eye and a right hand would make you? Right? Jesus says, if it causes you to sin, get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's better to get rid of those things than to be thrown into hell. Is your smartphone worth hell? Is your computer, your television? What would you trade? What would you give for your very souls? And especially when it comes to our kids. Listen, if I told you that someone was coming into your house and sneaking your kids cocaine, you would be livid, right? If you thought someone was coming into your front door and giving your kids a drug that would harm them and alter their minds, you would be furious and you would do anything you could to stop it. But listen, studies have shown time and time again that online porn is just as addictive as any drug out there. And there's no more destructive and demoralizing drug for our souls. Yet we often unwittingly give our children free access to it on Christmas morning when we give them an iPhone. You may say, well, I don't want my kids to feel left out or weird or different from the other kids around them. Listen, this is going to sound harsh, but it is not your responsibility, parent, grandparent, to make sure that all those other kids are spared from eternal torment in hell. Now, as believers, yes, we want to share the gospel with them. We want to, to convert as many as possible. But your responsibility, what you are called to do as a parent, as a grandparent, is to shepherd your child's heart. To guard them, to protect them, to stand in the way when danger is lurking at the door for them. That is your responsibility, to protect your kid's soul. And if there's anything, if there's anything that would make it more likely that my child would go to hell, I would do everything within my power to make sure that my child didn't have access to that. Even if it made me look weird or unpopular. The smartphone is going to make it more likely that my, my kid will end up suffering this fate because they're going to be exposed to these things. I would make sure they didn't have one. And listen, people have survived for thousands of years without smartphones or computers. I promise you, you will survive. Students, you're probably red hot angry at me right now. You will survive. And parents, if I need to be the bad guy, if you need to say, well, Pastor Tim said, sorry. Okay. Okay, I'll be the bad guy here. Because I want your children to be spared. And right now, in our society, this is an epidemic that is eating their souls. Now, I'm not saying that it is a sin to own a television, to own a computer, to even own a smartphone. I just showed you, I've got one in my pocket right now. I'm not even saying that you must get rid of them to be a good parent. Because remember, this starts in the heart. 
I'm saying that you need to evaluate what you and your children have access to and the effects that it may have on their souls and be willing to do whatever it takes to safeguard them. Why? Because the cost. The cost is so high. And that brings us to our final point today, the cost of adultery. I've already alluded to this, but the cost of adultery is nothing less than your very soul. What does Jesus say here? It's better to do without these things than for your soul to be cast into eternal hell fire. In Proverbs chapter 7, we're warned about the cost of adultery. Again, this wasn't a problem just in Jesus' day. This was a problem going all the way back in the Old Testament. What does it say in Proverbs chapter 7? And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is on the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. It's talking about the adulterous woman, the allure of adultery. That house, that house of adultery, that house of pornography, that house of lust, it goes down to the very chambers of death. Its roots are in hell. And it will take you there. Lust and adultery is one of the easiest and fastest roads to hell because it is so destructive, yet so alluring. It's so enticing. And we think, we think we're getting away with it. You think that nobody knows what you looked at on your phone. Nobody saw. You got away with it. Good for you. God sees. God knows. You've already committed adultery in your heart and in your mind. And the Bible says, what does the Bible tell us? Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Adulterers will not go to heaven. And once you begin to give your heart over to lust and adultery, it becomes a slave master that does not easily relinquish its captives. It is not something that you can play around with. It is not something that you can tinker in. But here's the good news for us. Maybe you're sitting there and you're looking at your watch, you're looking at the clock, you can't wait for this to be over. And you're not coming back next week because the spotlight has been white hot on you today. You're probably hating this. You probably hate what you do that nobody else knows about. You hate the guilt, the shame, the strain that it's producing on your marriage. Let me help you this morning. You don't have to live in perpetual guilt and shame, fear of being discovered. Your soul does not have to be condemned to hell. No matter how many times this has occurred, no matter, no matter how many times you've committed adultery in your mind and your heart, because the price for lust and adultery, even though it is high, has already been paid. I was in seminary when Herschel, Herschel York preached on this passage in chapel. And he talked about how Jesus 
makes these demands on us to, to pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands. But then he says this. Jesus tells us to blind ourselves and disable ourselves if need be in order to fight against sin. But what does Jesus do? He said the eyes that never looked with lust on a woman, not once in his entire life, were blinded as the blood from those thorns driven into his skull ran down into his eyes. As the sweat from the agony of that day poured down into his eyes. Jesus was blinded for us. His hands, which had never reached for a woman in lust, were violently nailed to wood. God placed the burden of your porn addiction. He placed the burden of your lustful heart on Jesus Christ in that day. Jesus gave His hands his eyes, his head, his feet, he gave his heart to be pierced for you because you had lusted, because you had pursued these things, because you had committed adultery. He put all those things on Jesus and then punished Jesus as if he were the one that watched those videos, as if he were the one that daydreamed about that coworker, that sent that picture to a classmate, Jesus paid the insurmountable cost of our sin so that we could be free. And then on the third day, He rose again. And He left all those things that He had paid for behind in that tomb where they belong. Do you want to be free today? You could cut off your hands. You could gouge out your eyes. You could even throw away your smartphone. And some of us would do it in that order. But in your mind, you would still find ways to lust. The only way that you can find absolute freedom is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be radical in our fight against sin. But that we should never think that radical measures alone are enough to help us. If we aren't seeking the one who already paid the price for our sin who already carried that burden away from us so that our sin could be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. We have to trust in His atoning work, in His redemptive work, in His freeing work. Our living hope. If you need help, either with experiencing the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers to us through His redeeming work on the cross, or if you need help, in finding freedom from the chains of lust. In just a moment, you can come and talk to me. Let me know. Listen, we're not going to solve the problem during a verse of I need thee every hour. right? But I will walk with you as long as it takes to free you from this bondage. I commit to that to you right now. If you need help, I will be there to help you. We will find you freedom. Because Jesus Christ offers it to us. And so come, let me know that you need help with this. Let me know that you need to be forgiven from this awful weight of shame and guilt that you're carrying on your shoulders. And together we will go through God's Word and find the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. Let's pray. God, this morning we come to You acknowledging this is a heavy Word. 
It's heavy because we can see it so clearly in the world around us. Lord, we can see so clearly how our children are suffering because of the culture's full-scale embrace of things that you call perversions. Lord, we know that you have established these fences. And yet we, in our pride, in our rebellion, we try to go and lean across the fence. We try to sit on the fence. We try to cross the fence and, and still keep one hand on it. Not knowing, not realizing, Lord, that we fell into danger long, long ago. Lord, for those suffering under the weight of shame and guilt, I pray that today would be the day they would take the first step to freedom. I pray, Lord, that they would come and and confess their need for You. Lord, how we need You. Every minute of every hour. Every day. Lord, let us take what we're about to sing seriously and confess how much we need Your help. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.